Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, March 29th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines. Lauren is here with me. We have no guest today. We have no theme today. Lauren, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. No guest, no theme. It's been a while since we've had a true free-for-all on Destination Health. It's been months, actually. I know. I'm actually I'm pretty excited to take more calls and hopefully answer some people's questions. Yeah, so I'm going to tell people right now, you and I will we'll talk. We always have something to talk about. But for the most part, today is all about questions. We have had a lot of guests lately, which does cut into the question time. So line them up. We'll get to them. Um, one of the things I do want to talk about here at the open, and it's nothing new. I've talked about it a lot. I talked about it again last night. We did the uh, final recording with Sally K. Norton on Oxalates, so that mini-series is now done. And we talked about this. I've talked about it a lot. But I, it's, I see this progression, and I'm just more and more confident that we have this right. And I don't really care about research anymore. Isn't it a shame that I have to say that, that medical research, I, I just basically ignore most of it. You know, I read it, of course, I read a lot of it, but for the most part anymore, it just seems meaningless. You can find medical research to show exactly what somebody wants it to show. And what do you do with that? So we seem to have a couple of divides happening in the health world. I've talked about this before. The big one right now, the whole vegan versus carnivore divide. We also have the you know, should we be eating real meat or fake meat divide? Um, and now we have this new phenomenon I've been noticing. I think it's driven a lot by TikTok, but those videos then get shared. You know, I talked last night about it. I'm not on TikTok. I don't want to be on TikTok. But I see these videos on Twitter and other places from TikTok. And there is this huge push now to really promote obesity, to make it a real positive thing. And I'm not talking about just being, you know, 30 or 40 pounds overweight. I'm talking about real obesity and kind of celebrating that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I noticed. I noticed it's been going on for several years now, even in the just, just modeling, you notice that, you know, where, I don't know, for the past five, maybe it's more like eight years, they've been promoting these overweight models. Yeah. yeah. And they're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But it's not really, and I don't think, you know, I should also say that how skinny a lot of the models were before that wasn't exactly that, ideal either. Neither one were. <laughs> we're kind of, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Neither one were natural. That, that's the problem. Exactly. And, and I'm going to say something that's probably very controversial. For most people, neither one of those extremes is attractive. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It's a biological reason. It has nothing to do with what's better or There is a biological reason for that attraction, and it's to perpetuate the species. 
Every living thing on the planet has one drive to perpetuate the species. And when we see somebody who is obese, it is a sign that that is not a healthy body to produce a baby. So why would we waste our time? And I know people are going to be offended by this, but this is how biology works. Why would we waste our time trying to procreate with an unhealthy body that won't have a good chance of producing a baby that can survive? The same thing with, with being too skinny. That's another sign that, that that's not a healthy body. Our attraction to the opposite sex is so that we can procreate and produce babies. That's it. So we are attracted to yeah. a healthy human body, except a lot of people don't know what a healthy human body looks like anymore. That's the problem. We have a distorted viewpoint of what's, of what's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that we should, now, look, I'm not into fat shaming. I don't think we should be shaming these people or criticizing. We should be helping them. We should be educating them on the fact that they don't have to be like this and they don't need drugs or surgery. We know that the proper diet works every time. Exactly. Gosh, speaking of those drugs, I see them everywhere oh. being marketed. It's insane, isn't it? They're talking about it all like it's normal already. This is just a normal thing. I know. Why wouldn't you take a drug to lose weight? <sighs> mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. <laughs> really scary. So I am now completely convinced. I, I, you know, I try to keep an open mind about all of this stuff. Always open to, we might've gotten something wrong. I'm sure we've gotten things wrong. I'm always open to something new, but I'm pretty well convinced that the carnivore diet or a very carnivore-ish diet is the real human diet and is the healthiest human diet. And I, I just don't doubt that much anymore. And there's just so much evidence. When you look at, again, our history of what we've moved to paleo and well that worked for a lot of people but not everybody so let's go low carb paleo and then that led to keto and we noticed each time we were eliminating more and more food out of the diet and our results were better and better and then when we went to carnivore even i said well that's crazy that's extreme who's going to eat nothing but animal products i thought it was extreme except it's not and we see the best results with the more elimination we do. The more food we get out of somebody's diet, the better the health outcome seems to be. It's true. Especially those suffering from, you know, uh, you know, diet or digestive issues like IBS, uh, IBD. Yeah, which, which all seem to lead to autoimmune conditions. So then you have people dealing exactly. with the two problems. They have a digestive issue, then they have some sort of autoimmune. It may be a thyroid problem, which is causing them to gain weight. It could be an arthritis problem. It could be a skin issue. It could be a brain issue. It could be a liver or kidney. There's, there's a problem there. And then on top of it, we've got the, the digestive issues as well, which we know are common. Those all seem to go away with carnivore. Yes, they do. So 
If we have this diet that in the most extreme cases, it just keeps working. Doesn't it start to look like maybe that is the way we're all supposed to eat? It does. It does seem that way. It's hard to argue. (laughs) You know, I think I've come to the point where if there is anything about your health that you don't think is right, try carnivore. Or, or as carnivore as you can be, and the more carnivore you are, the, more, the faster it will resolve itself. And then at some point, if you've healed everything, you know, then you decide how many plants do I really want in my diet? And I would be careful about how you pick them. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm not going to give up plants. There's just no way. Um, I'm going to eat more carnivore than ever. I keep moving more and more that way. But I'm going to be really picky about the plants I do want in my diet. And, uh, you know, here's the crazy thing. This is another reason why I think we probably shouldn't have a lot of plants in our diet. When you start thinking about which plants do I want in my diet? Well, we know grains are out. They've been out forever for us. That was an easy one. Well, what's next? Are we more concerned about phytates? Are we more concerned about lectins? Are we more concerned about oxalates? Are we more concerned about gluten and, and gliadin and some of those offensive proteins? There's this huge list of problems with plant foods. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Plants are designed to protect themselves. Yeah, and they're not really designed to nourish us all that well. The nutrients that they do have in them are locked up and many times aren't available very well to us. We need an animal to digest them first and convert them to the form that we can absorb. True. So I really am taking the approach now that, that carnivore, that eating animal products, meat, fish, eggs, dairy, organ meats are a big part of that, that that should be the bulk of our diet. We should always strive to eat those first. And... Everything else, plants are optional, and you should be careful about how you choose. Yep, agreed. Kind of crazy. The ones that seem to be, I know, the ones that seem to be less um, dangerous, I should say for us, are the the fruit. What did you say? Yeah, fruit. But there's another problem with fruit. Now, here's the, fruit is easier. You're right. Here's something that I was surprised about. I, I, I didn't realize What's this. That? Fruit has oxalates. Yes, kiwis. I, oh, my goodness. I Loaded know. Blackberries. <laughs> We've all been told, oh, no, black oh, berries. <laughs> berries are always safe. You're fine with berries. Well, no, you're not. It's surrounded by blackberries. They're everywhere here. I could walk 100 yards in any direction and fill a five-gallon bucket. They're just, they're wild here. They're native. They're all over. In fact, they're a problem. You can't get rid of them. The vines grow underground and then pop up everywhere and trying to get rid of blackberries. It's one of my big projects in my garden this year. I had a big blackberry bush in the corner and I left it there and started, you know, planting more berries around it. It's just taking over. I can't keep it down. I can cut it back to the ground. And in a month, it's in my way again. Interesting. Yeah. I did not realize that. So I figured 
since I have all these blackberries around, I might as well do something with them. And we turned them into blackberry syrup. Now, when I was talking to um, uh, Sally last night on the uh, the mini series, she did tell me that because of the way I did it, I got rid of all the seeds because we ran it through a, a food mill and got rid of all the seeds. So it becomes a smooth syrup. Most of the oxalates are in the seeds. So by getting rid of the seeds, I cut that way, way down. And we only, we concentrate it. So I only use a little bit of it, like a tablespoon stirred into the yogurt is really good. But I didn't know that fruit had oxalates. I didn't even think about that, but it does. Some of it's pretty high. The other issue we have with fruit, one of the reasons we talk about berries a lot, berries are still really in their natural form. Berries existed the way they exist now forever. Blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, raspberries, all the berries. Whereas all of our other fruit didn't really exist. We created the banana. There was no way you could eat the original wild banana. You really, if you've ever found one, I've seen it. I've never done it myself. You almost can't peel it. The peel won't separate from the flesh. And the flesh is like pure starch and stringy. Nobody would ever eat a wild banana. It's almost impossible. So we created the banana. Yeah. And, and most of our fruit we, we created. I mean, think about what we've done with things like watermelons and, and apples. Apples are actually fairly natural. That's a bad example. Um, but a lot of the other fruit. Now, we have taken apples that, again, if you look at primarily wild apples, and I actually grew up as a kid eating wild apples, crab apples. We had them all over the woods when I was running around. They are so sour. That's a natural apple, crab apple. So over the years, we've also created all kinds of crazy sweet varieties of apples. So we've taken almost all the fruit and we've hybridized it to be just about as sugary as candy. So with fruit, you've just got to watch your carb count. That That's really the... the now, some oxalates and some of these could be an issue, but for the most part, you're just watching your carb count. And I'm fine eating carnivore. I eat a piece of fruit a day, usually a banana. Sometimes I'll get on a kick with apples or um, I will eat berries, but, you know, one serving a day. And when you look at your overall carb count at that point, it's pretty darn low. Yeah, agreed. And I, I don't have any issues with berries. And, and you know, this was a question that came in. Well, it was a comment yesterday that came in about a new product that we were promoting, the, the almond butter. And there was a comment about, well, it's loaded with oxalates. And, and yes, yes, absolutely right. Almond butter is loaded with oxalates. However, it depends on, on you, your bio-individuality, how you, you know, handle oxalates. For instance, I do enjoy almond milk. Not every single day, but, you know, quite often. I do eat almonds. I do eat spinach from time to time. You know, there are very high oxalate foods that personally I don't notice a negative impact right, right away. So I feel like I can handle them. 
But not everyone can, and I understand that. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this last night. We got down to some numbers, and then we talked about the fact that you can't put too much faith in the numbers because do we really know how much oxalate is in any food? We really don't. There's too many many variables. There's too many varieties of plants. I talked about, Sally said she was going to send me a list of low-oxalate tomato varieties. So you can choose varieties. Now, once you go to the grocery store, you lose that option. You don't know what the variety is. I mean, you might be able to make a guess at it. It's some sort of aroma tomato, but I don't know which one. There's about 30 different varieties of Roma tomatoes and about 300 varieties of tomatoes in general. So how do you know which one's higher or lower? Are we really accurate with any of these numbers? So, but we did talk a little bit about some guidelines at least. And I like the way she does it. She takes the same approach with the oxalates that I did in the beginning with carbs. I count, I watched my carbs at each meal in the beginning. And my, my threshold was I just, I didn't want to eat any meal or snack that had more than 15 grams of carbs at a time. And that was a good way to do it. She says the same thing with oxalates. Look at every meal, not don't look at the week. Or a day, look at each meal and try to keep the oxalate load at each meal under 70 grams. And that's if you're eating three meals a day. So that 210 grams or so a day is a pretty safe level. And we've also talked about the fact that oxalates store up in your body for decades. And if you go cold turkey, your body starts purging the oxalates and it causes problems. So You actually go to a low oxalate diet, not a no oxalate diet. And that number is about 200 grams a day. Well, when I looked at that, and then I looked at the foods that that are high in oxalates that I eat occasionally, but don't really care about, like you mentioned spinach. Honestly, I don't (laughs) care if I ever eat spinach again in my life. It's one of those things I eat. Yeah. I throw it into dishes now and then. I actually created a couple of recipes where I actually like it, but kind of a lot of mm-hmm. work. And it's not like one of those foods that I'm ever going to crave. So just get that one out of my yeah. diet. On the other hand, sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes. I'm going to leave some room for <laughs> yeah. them with the oxalate load. So knowing oh that I can eat up to 200 grams a day, is actually quite a bit if as long as you're just picky about which ones you choose. So almonds for yeah, me, I'm not, I'm not giving up almonds. There's no way I almonds yeah. in a lot of different forms in my diet and it's stuff I don't want to give up. So I know now I can just, exactly. I can make it work. I'll give up the high oxalate foods that I don't really care about. I'm not going to go do all that work to harvest blackberries anymore. Yeah. That's a good point. You just kind of have to pick and choose and you have to be aware of your body and how you're feeling and what's going on. And that is something that we're constantly talking about is just, you need to be able to monitor it. And this is so important because even something as simple as taking the NutriCue, those questions are symptoms that you could potentially be experiencing. And based on those symptoms, you know, for instance, I had someone this last week who had all very, very low priority, you know, low priority chart chart, but they're telling me that they have, you know, situations like where I'm, I'm hearing that it could be 
SIBO, it could be a severe this, leaky gut, and is this a everything on the chart is fine. It is. I knew it. it. Is. I knew it. Males are typically <laughs> under reporters. If they're going to put it on paper, yes. they will lie. They'll make it sound better than it is when they put it on paper. But like you said, if you listen to them and you listen to the stories, then you start to realize that that chart's probably incorrect. Exactly. So, you know, I can't stress how important it is to really pay attention to how you're feeling. And this goes also with, you know, when I work one-on-one with people and if there's a situation that where they have to run to the bathroom constantly, either constantly or don't go enough, you know, they have irregular bowel movements, then I really need them to tap in. I really need them to connect the dots for me so that when I can look at their food journal, I can link what they've been eating, what they've been, you know, doing with the amount of water they're drinking to how they're feeling and how their bowel movements are. Because those are really critical things that, and that could be like a missing piece. You could have everything else looking great, but there might be one thing in the diet or one thing that they're doing that's causing the issue that they're so concerned about. So really tapping in and knowing your body and knowing how you're feeling is so important. Good point. You know, I want to make one more point and then I think we're going to get to some calls. You know, we, I was just talking about how I'm going to manage this oxalate load and I got to go look things up and I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Once you do this for a while, it's like the rest of it. You figure it out. I don't count things. I don't weigh things. I don't measure things. I'm not going to get obsessed about this, but I will work through this oxalate issue. I'll find the foods that fit. And, and after a while, then that just becomes the natural way to eat. And why do we have to do this? I mean, hunter-gatherers never once thought about what they ate. They ate whatever they could no. find. And they ate as much of it as they could eat when they found it. It was primarily animals. They ate plants when they needed to, I believe now. The problem for us is we're surrounded, totally surrounded by food that we never used to have access to. And I mean even real plant food. Depending on where I lived in the world, would I ever have to worry about whether I ate too many kiwis or not? There are only a few places in the (laughs) world that I would have to worry about eating too many kiwis. And where in the world would I have to worry about eating too many sweet potatoes? Have you ever been wandering around in the woods and found a big patch of sweet potatoes to eat? No, absolutely not. (laughs) And if you did, would you even recognize if there was one, if there just happened to be one sweet potato plant out there, would you even recognize it? No. No. And it's very likely that if you pulled up that sweet potato plant, if you did recognize it, there wouldn't be any potatoes there. That's true. So we... We didn't have to worry about all of these offending chemicals in all these plants because we didn't eat them very much. They weren't even, did we have to worry about dark chocolate? No. No, absolutely. No. (laughs) Even though dark chocolate is, is a natural food, it comes from nature. Have you ever seen how they make dark chocolate or chocolate, period? Who the hell figured uh, no. this process out? Go look it up one time. 
I just, don't. I still don't understand. Yeah, don't they it, ferment? It is the, chocolate is fermented. Yeah, you have to ferment the beans. That's one step. That the number of the steps step to get that thing from the pod that grows on the tree to something that resembles chocolate. I don't know how the hell anybody ever figured this out. Yeah, I don't know either. Only remember the fermentation part. The rest of it, I can't imagine how they get chocolate from that. Put the beans out in the sun for days to dry, and then they go through a fermentation process. And it's just, like I said, whoever figured this out. But as hunter-gatherers, we never had to think about any of this. Yeah. So I don't want people to think that you've got to spend the rest of your life counting things in food. In fact, my goal is the opposite. I never want to have to count things in food or weigh things or think this much about it. But we have to because we're surrounded by things we call food that aren't really food anymore. Mm. That's true. All right. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Nebraska. Tom, welcome to the program. Yeah, good morning, Kevin. Hey, uh, the other day I caught just a little bit of it. We're talking about cacao powder, and I don't know, was it oxalates or purines in it? That what, was, there, was there a problem with cacao powder and oxalates. gout? Yeah, except it's, not, it's not true gout. It's, it's an oxalate-induced joint pain is what we could call it. So gout would okay. actually be crystals of uric acid. That is the true definition of gout. Uric acid forms into crystals. The crystals settle into your joints and cause that irritation and inflammation and pain. You can have the exact yeah. same um, experience, except it's not a uric acid crystal forming. It's an oxalate crystal forming. Causes the exact same problem, but it's caused by an overload of oxalates, not uric acid. Okay, because I've, I've been fighting gout for the last year, and they've got me on that aluprimidol, sort of a low dose, but I, I want to get off of that stuff. So, But I also want to go hey, carnivore hey, Tom, for 30 Tom. days. Tom, yes. Aren't you, yes. You've been like yes. keto, low-carb, grain-free for a long time, haven't you? I was, and then I fell off the wagon, but I'm, 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 I need to go back on. Okay. I mean, so yeah, I'm gonna, I completely fell off, completely fell off. Okay. I doubt that it's gout. I have a feeling it is oxalates, not gout. So I, I wouldn't worry about purines and the foods that we say aggravate gout. I would worry about oxalates, and I would focus on those. That's what, I, that's what happens okay. to me. I thought... I had gout and it made no sense whatsoever because I was low carb, I was keto, I was mostly clean. So I thought this makes no sense. How could I have gout? But the symptoms are exact. Then I realized it was the oxalate overload. And it's clear when I overdo oxalates, I get very sharp gout-like pains in certain joints, usually joints that I've injured in the past. My left shoulder, my left knee, my hip, that's where I tend to get it. But I know that I'm sensitive to it, and I can watch my oxalate load, and I can make it go away. 
Okay, because when I did, when the gout flare-ups came, I was off everything. Then, so that makes more sense because I was trying to yeah. figure that out. I was, I did, right. That didn't make any sense to me at all. Right. The, yeah. This is okay. what we good finally thing. figured good. out. That when, if somebody has gout-like symptoms, but they're eating anything close to a paleo-based diet, I think it's not gout, it's oxalate. Okay, so now if I want to go, now here's, here's, my, here's my problem, but I imagine it's better than not. Do, so when I go keto, I mean, um, when I go uh, carnivore, normally like a, a meat won't just, won't satisfy me. And I know in the past you said the, the same thing, but apparently it, it is satisfying you now. If I just sat down and ate a steak, be hungry afterwards. So what is, what is considered carnivore now? Just, you said the animal products, but is that? Milk is that any dairy yeah, or is we, that we meat? do cons- no carnivore includes dairy. I tell people to to probably minimize the dairy and maximize the quality of it. You know, if you could, yeah, I, want- ideally, here's what I would use for dairy products if I could get them all in this form. If I could get all of my dairy products that came from raw A2 milk, then I'd be fine. But I'm, I'm careful about dairy. Cheese is fine. Cheese is fermented. We can get good quality cheeses that don't really, um, are not reactive for a lot of people. It, milk itself, I don't drink milk. I mean, I, I just don't see the point in it. I love. And, yeah, I just don't drink I milk at milk. all. I put a little bit of heavy cream in some things. But for the most part, dairy for me is, is cheese. Or we, we have probiotic sour cream. Obviously, the probiotic yogurt. I've made probiotic cream cheese before. So dairy for me is more cheese and yogurt, not really milk. So I would tell people, be okay, careful now. with dairy and always try to get the best quality you can, including going to A2 right. and raw. Oh, A1, A2, not A1. A2. Uh, A1 is the problem. The, the standard milk that we've had around forever, we didn't call it A1 because it was all the same, but it is primarily the A1 protein. And what determines this is the breed of the cow. We, we picked whatever right. cow to be a dairy cow that produces A1, and humans don't handle A1 protein very well. We started to realize this because people who couldn't handle conventional dairy seem to do okay with goat's milk. I'm one of those. I, I love goat's milk, and I never okay. had any kind of negative reactions from it the way I do with conventional dairy. But turns out that's because goat's milk is primarily A2. But we also now have breeds of cows that can produce primarily A2. And it's, it's just, okay. I find that people tolerate A2 much better. Okay. And then, so for the next 30 days, I'm just going to go completely carnivore. But here's my other issue is I do most, because, you know, my parking at Walmart, and we know that meat and uh, chicken Eat is it. shit. I don't care. But it's better I, I, than nothing. I don't care. It's better than nothing. Right. That is not an issue for me. You will never hear me say, oh, no, you shouldn't go carnivore because you're going to be eating that poor quality meat. Well, wait a minute. 
You're probably already right. eating the poor quality meat plus all the other crap that's killing us. So let's eliminate all the other well, crap. And I'm not going to worry too much about the quality of the meat in the beginning. Now, ultimately, I will always right, okay. tell people, always try to improve the quality of any food you're going to put in your mouth. But I'd yeah, much rather okay. see somebody eat all of their meat from Walmart and be carnivore, and we will still okay. see really good results. Okay, two more questions. So the, what are the ox, oscillates, oscillates in, in, in uh, organ meat? Is it high? No. Never worry about oxalates with okay. an animal-based diet. It's not an issue. Okay. Okay, good. And then yams and sweet potatoes. Every time, every time I go to the, the grocery store to buy a sweet potato, it seems to me that they're mixing up the, the yams and, and the sweet They don't know the difference between a yam and a nobody, sweet potato. What the hell is the difference? Nobody knows the difference. <laughs> Yeah. I okay. Agree. <laughs> well, right. Well, there, well, there is a difference, no, no, but nobody seems little... to know what it is exactly. So just give up trying to figure it out. It's not going to matter because the next grocery store you go to, they won't have it figured out. So they're going to call a yam a sweet potato right. and they're going to call a sweet potato a yam. Don't worry about it. There are these potato like things that grow underground and they taste sweet. Let's just, that, that's, yeah, that's no, good no. enough. They have two issues, two real problems. The carb count itself, you got to make sure that fits into your daily allowance. And the oxalate load is extremely high in sweet potatoes. One of the worst offenders. I'm, I'm not, I'm just doing, I'm going to call you back on May 1st and let you know how it went. But I'm, no, I'm not going to eat the sweet potato. But when you were talking about sweet potatoes, I'm like, I wonder if they were talking about yam. I'm just going to go completely. So I've got what do I have? I have steak, chicken, I mean, uh, beef, chicken, and what the hell else can I eat? Anything, <laughs> eggs, uh, of no, course. Listen, anything with a face. Anything with a face? Yes. All right. You can okay. eat anything with a right. face. So Almost dog. Here, here's an interesting thing. We didn't talk about this when we talked about the human diet. Do you realize 99% of the animals on the planet are completely safe for humans to eat? 99% of the animals. Think about that. That's a lot of animals. What's the 1%? You can eat anything. What the hell is the well, 1% we can't eat? There are things like puffer fish that if you don't prepare it properly, it will kill you. Uh, there are some animals where right. we can't eat. They can be toxic or poisonous, but it's really rare, 1%. Now, on the other hand, we only eat 1% of the plants that exist. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, that, sort of, that, that sort of makes that pretty easy, doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. So when you say, when, yeah, if I'm going to yeah. be carnivore, what can I eat? Anything with a face. If you want to eat rattlesnake, okay, awesome. eat rattlesnake. <laughs> I have. I've had rattlesnake. Yeah. Oh, um, and, and blackberries, you know, if you get yourself a little trencher, you can keep those, those, uh, you know, just a, a little small one that I think you can hook them up to the, your, the, 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 what do you call it? I think they have a attachment for, for your electric battery. Ego. What, what's the battery? Yeah. Yeah. Ego. I think ego has one. 
sort of a, like a trencher type thing that you can almost like a chainsaw. But if you if you cut around that, because they grow pretty close to the ground. But blackberries in Oregon are uh, there's nothing better, bro. I I agree. Like I said, it's awesome. They grow all over the place. I can just walk around and pick them anytime I want. Now I know that I probably shouldn't be doing it, though, with that kind of oxalate load. I'm not going to waste it on blackberries as much as I do like them. Uh, No. But, but, yeah, getting rid of them, this is my first year attempting it. I know I've read some articles, and it's pretty tricky. But, yeah, if you can get down and find that, that one main nodule and get it out, then you're fine. But if you don't get that out or kill it, you can kill it chemically. Now, I don't want to do that. You know, I guess if I get to the no, point where, where I just can't get them out, I'll dig down there and maybe I'll put chemicals directly on that, try to kill it, but trying to avoid that. So as soon as the weather gets better and I've got a, a nice day, that's kind of my next big project in the garden. I got to try to get rid of these damn blackberries. Yeah, what's the weather looking like going through the gorge there? I gotta hit that tomorrow. Cold and wet. Not snow and ice. No, no snow and ice. Yeah, it's just cold and wet. Windy occasionally. Right now, it's pretty calm, but spring isn't here yet. Well, uh, that's Ah. okay. Like you know, I finally got out of that what that third El Nino in a row or whatever, and the weather pattern I think finally changed where uh, and that I. I'll bet you. Uh, I'll bet you a uh, big that uh, Lake Mead fills up within the next ten years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, all of a sudden California's <laughs> problem is too much water. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks for all the advice. I appreciate it. And you guys have a good one. Hey, Tom. Real quick before you hop off, I'm, I'm doing yes. the after hours Q and A today. Is all about carnivore. Oh, oh, okay. And Excellent. Then we, so, I think you guys send me a text. I think what time? What time is that? It's at three p.m. Eastern time, and I do it live on Healthy Tribe, and then we we also post that video to Facebook later on. But um, okay, I'll go into the details of all the things that you can eat, and there's more than you think. And there are, I was just looking at my notes, and there are actually a few things that don't have faces, like scallops and mussels and oysters. They don't <laughs> actually have faces. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I, I know, them. I didn't think about it until now. So, uh, so yeah, so oh. join us at, you know, if you can, live at 3 p.m., but if not, you know, check out the, the video later I'll, on. I'll be there. I think you guys send me, don't you send me a text message update and the link for that when you yeah. send me a text message for Oh, good. Yeah, I think, okay, fantastic. I've always missed it, but today I'll certainly be um, tuned in. There you go. Yeah, thank you. All right, good stuff. Hey, um, Lauren, you know, I was uh, was just thinking about, you mentioned the shellfish, and I forgot about that with the face thing, but we we were talking about shellfish last night on the miniseries, and both Sally and I love shellfish. I can eat I can eat almost anything that comes out of the water. I mean, I don't know that I've found any seafood that I don't like. I've eaten some weird stuff like uh, sea anemone and urchin. I've eaten sea urchin. I've eaten some, what's that? <laughs> my favorite. I think uni is my favorite. Yeah. I always get it. If I'm getting sushi, yeah. I have it for the first thing I eat, and then I have it as dessert for the very last oh, thing I feel. Urchin, like yeah. it's so... Yeah, I mean, it just has like, um, yeah, well, it's not prepared sweet, but it has like this, 
very oceany and very clean flavor. So yeah. it kind of just cleanses the palate. I feel like it's a great way to start and end my sushi meal. <laughs> there you go. Now, here's what I'm wondering, though. Who was the first one mm-hmm. that found an oyster, figured out how to break the thing open and looked at it and said, man, that looks good. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> they don't look very appealing. No, they don't. <laughs> no, like they scallops, don't. they you know they open and close. So if you come across them in nature, you would see that they're right. opening and closing. Right. But yeah. an oyster. And then when I don't you, know you how know, they. I don't know. Yeah, and when you do finally look at it, it's you know until you've experienced it. It's not all that compelling. I would have to be really, really hungry, I think, before I tried it the first time. <laughs> I agree. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's go back to the phones. We're going to go to Kentucky. Jerry, welcome to the program. All right, Kevin. I just got a couple of comments, no question today. And first off, who in the hell was the first one to dig up horseradish and grind it and think this is great? Because I love horseradish. Just think about who the hell was the first one to ever do that. You know, there's. I think somebody dug up what they thought was parsnips and they made a mistake and they couldn't admit they made a mistake and it was horseradish <laughs> instead of parsnips and they had to eat it because they wouldn't admit they were wrong. Probably a man. You know, if, <laughs> anyway. You know, no, you bring up a good point, and I, I wonder if some of these things are, you know, designed so that we don't eat them. Think about, you know, one of the things we've been talking about a lot lately over the last year or two, alcohol. You know, there's a new push towards really moving away from alcohol, probably one of the biggest pushes I've ever seen. And people are just realizing, look, it doesn't make me feel good. It's, you know, all this stuff they told us, a little bit of alcohol is healthy for you. That's all a lie. And does anybody ever pick up alcohol the first time, drink it, say, man, is that good? No. Nobody does. I don't think there's a human being alive that actually drinks alcohol for the first time and likes the taste. What you like is the feeling that occurred after the taste. And if you do it enough, your body starts to associate that taste with the good feeling. That's how we ultimately come to like the taste of alcohol. But there was a huge warning there by nature. Don't drink this stuff. It tastes awful. All right, Lauren, I think I'm back. All right, Kevin, perfect. Sheesh, I had to restart all kinds of equipment. It was a a weird Bluetooth issue. Finally got it figured out. All right, so uh, we had a ton of calls. I think uh, we lost them. They're starting to come back. So uh, we'll just jump right back into the calls. We're going to hold on. Let me send that one back. Sorry about that. I just took a call that was headed into the screening room. Um, I think we're just getting everything reset back up here. We are getting closer and closer to our own app for this. Um, we're getting really close, I think, to at least something I can start testing. Almost all of the issues we face, usually it's some sort of service that we don't have enough control over. This Bluetooth issue just seems weird, so... We've got some some ways to solve it in our own app. App. Let's uh, let's go now to the phones. We're going to go to California. Voitech, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I think I know what happened. 
Chinese vegans are hacking you. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Let's do that. Uh, I'm gonna fight back with a, uh, a cowboy ribeye. Uh, so I started listening to that book, Toxic Superfruits, and uh, I, I'm hearing some conflicting information in that book versus some other books, and I'm trying to square this this, this oxalate circle versus you know other like some foods have beneficial properties anti for anti cancer or this or that. Now, which leads me to a question: this the research that Sally Norton has done or compiled is this, it doesn't seem like it's in its infancy. So how come there's no other broader books about the subject and why is it not discussed more like the carbs, you know, the effect of carbs and gluten and all that? Is it so, because of it? People, it's, it's so hard to measure, or is it be, and, and, and find like some of the other details that she mentioned in the book? No, I think it's nothing more than. I mean, some of those things are factors. It, it's a weird kind of substance that causes such widespread issues. Part of our podcast, we did this thing where I started at the top of our head and I said, okay, Sally, how does oxalates affect my brain? Then my mouth. And we moved all the way down the body. And it's incredible. It affects almost every organ and system in the body, but differently. And we never realized it was oxalates. But here's the thing. Was there a time when we didn't know what the word gluten really meant or that it was a problem? And now everybody realizes that gluten is probably a problem for most human beings. Well, that, that's no different. You know, 10 years ago, we didn't know the endocannabinoid system even existed in our body. And now we know not only does it exist, but it is the largest system of receptors in our body. How did we not know it was there? No different here. How did we not know that these oxalates are causing so many problems? We just hadn't figured it out yet. Sally happened to be the first one. And like a lot of these things, she was driven to do the research because she had the health problems. Yeah, well, that does make sense. Uh, I'm just kind of uh, concerned a little bit because it seems like the more books I listen to and more information I learn, the, the smaller my menu becomes yes. because of all the yes. bad things that, that it does for me. That was kind uh, of my point of the now, open today, but let's think about this. Let's go back to the hunter-gatherer model. And I want you to, have you spent any amount of time out in the woods somewhere? Uh, yeah, just a little bit here and there, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find much that you could eat? Well, other than the trash, other hikers leave behind, no. <laughs> right, right. So I have to believe as human beings, there just isn't that much food out in the woods that we can eat. Plant food. There's not much at all. 
And the little bit you might find is so difficult to eat. Forget starchy roots. You're, you're not going to eat them unless you can boil them for long periods of time. The food you can find to eat is not very satisfying. It doesn't have a whole lot of energy density to it at all. The only way you can satisfy yourself in the wild is to kill something. That's it. So just believe that we keep finding all these problems with plants because technically they were never a part of our diet. Right. Now, something else you mentioned is uh, mechanically breaking down different foods in the blender. Uh, that can have a detrimental effect on the oxalate load. Is that correct? I believe so. I believe it's I a, along the same lines as what happens with the glucose and the, the carbohydrates. When we make them easily available to the body, it's like you can now overdose on them. Like they had this protection, you know, to so, stop us from accessing all of that. And then we broke all that protection apart. And now our body has way too much access to those um, compounds. Now, she also mentioned that coconut is pretty hey, low me, in oxalate, right? Let, let me give an example. You, real, you know there's some food that when you eat it, it comes out the other end pretty intact, right? Right. Seeds almost always are undigestible. And that's the point. That's how the seed gets transported and then planted someplace else with a load of fertilizer. Because our body won't break them down. But now throw it into a blender in a smoothie and what happens? Your body can access all of that now. Right. Including the protective right. layer where all the oxalates are supposed to be. Right, all their chemical right. defenses. So yeah. a coconut, right, what about a, so a coconut is safe, right? We think so. I don't think I've ever heard of any real issues with coconut, Lauren, have you? No, I, I can't say I have. So I and here's like coconut is a well, here's one of the things we have talked about. Fruits tend to have less chemical defenses than vegetables because with the fruit, we're not trying to kill the plant. We just want to eat the fruit off of it, and then we might transport the seeds. So I think we're encouraged to eat fruit. And isn't coconut a fruit? I think it is. Oh, that's right. It is a nut. Maybe it's, it's a tree nut. nut. That's right. It is a tree nut. But again, yeah. well, see, nuts are a problem. We're not killing the plant, but nuts. Wait a minute. Nuts. Are nuts also the seed? And no, no, I'm confused. How would you how would you grow? <laughs> no, how would you grow a new coconut plant? Wouldn't you do it from a coconut Yes, you do. You. Uh, I have no idea. So, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Here, isn't it a seed then, not a nut? Yeah, I think you're right, and it's a seed. It's a nut seed. A nut. So we're uh, back. What so about pineapple? Pineapple is just a fruit. I mean, and pineapple. My God, talk about one that we've hybridized. When I was a kid growing up, pineapple was pretty tart. Now I can find pineapple that is so sweet, it makes my teeth hurt. 
Yeah. Are pineapples high in oxalates? Yeah, I believe they are. I believe pineapple is one of the fruits that's high in oxalates. I feel like it would be because of that feeling that it gives you in your mouth. The, it's kind the, of like when you eat a kiwi, it's that fuzzy, uncomfortable that, feeling. The tannins, and I think tannins and oxalates must go together. No, it's actually, when we get that fuzzy feeling on our tongue, that's typically tannins. But I wonder if tannins and oxalates go together somehow. Maybe they do. That's what Sally Norton mentioned in her book, too, which kind of leads me to believe that wine, especially red wine, is going to be high in oxalates because it had... High in, tannins, you know. high in tannins, right. That's why I'm thinking there's some sort of correlation between tannins and oxalates. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's not good. And, and Kevin, going back to kind of the issue with contradicting information, you say potatoes, you know, Sally says potatoes are high in oxalates and they're bad for you. But then you said anything with the face is good to go. Well, what, how, where's that put Mr. Potato Head? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Mr. Potato Head has a face, doesn't he? I know. We're not supposed to be eating potatoes, and it's not because of the carbs or anything else. It's just because they are an oxalate bomb. Okay, so how does, I know that potatoes have a lot of carbs, and I've also heard that if you cook the potato, put it in the fridge for 24 hours, half the carbs get converted to complex carbs or something like that. Let's call them, yeah, let's not use complex. They've messed with that word complex carbs. What we call it is it converted to resistant starch. Resistance, that's what the, that's the one. What yeah. is that? But do we know what happens to the oxalate load nothing. when that happens? And nothing. Potatoes, nothing. nothing. Okay. Yeah, the, there are a couple ways we can reduce the oxalate load. Really, not that many. Fermentation is probably the best. If we ferment something, we can cut the oxalate load. But cooking it doesn't do it. Cooking it and cooling it doesn't do it. Long cooking it doesn't do it. It's almost like one of those forever chemical kind of things. It just doesn't break down easy. Fermentation will do it, though. Okay. I'm just going to... Exactly. That, that's really... That's kind of the point of the whole show today is at some point, if you're really paying attention to all of this, at some point, you start to give up on the plants because they're just so much work and there's no reward. Yeah. So I'm saying Yeah, I'm actually growing some lettuce in my garden right now, but for the chickens. You know, lettuces are actually one of the benign vegetables. Just most lettuces, as long as we don't get into dark leafy greens like spinach, but most lettuces are pretty safe. They don't have a lot of oxalates or lectins or phytates or they're they're mostly water. So actually, some of the lettuces are just fine. They're they're not healthy, but they're not yeah, unhealthy. Just, they're kind of neutral. I just, 
don't see the point. No, exactly. What's the point? There's I, no. I just don't yeah. see the point. Right. It, you know, and, and so many practitioners have come to this realization. Lauren, did you ever follow Mark Sisson much at all? Yes, definitely. So you remember his big ass salads? He talked about them all the time. Big ass salads. They're so healthy. We look at all these nutrients we get in with all these foods and he doesn't talk about those anymore. Yeah, I haven't seen. No, you remember. Yeah, he doesn't talk about him anymore. He's moved far more to the carnivore side. Do you remember a guy, I think Jack Lane or something? Oh, yeah. He died, yeah. but he was like well into his 90s. And he was all about smoothies and salads and veggie smoothies. And this is how I lived so long. And I know. I wonder what his oxygen load was. And, uh, but he told a lot of blenders. Well, the guy was pretty incredible, too. I mean, he would he would do crazy stuff like put 82 people in a boat and then he would get out there and tow them around swimming. I mean, the guy was an incredible human being. Wonder what he might have been like had he eaten carnivore instead. Well, who's to say he didn't eat steak? after he got off the air and his infomercial was over. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right, that's all I've got. All right, that's all we need. Good stuff. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kev? Yeah, back to on them oxalates with that guy with the overload. Now, that's definitely what he's got because that happened to me that one time, remember? It's like, and what I did was, I went like almost completely off keto, eating everything I shouldn't be, and then I'm like, all right, I got to, I got to do this. And like the first time I went to go keto, I was eating salads just as a vessel. I would put sardines in them or something, you know what I mean, just to have something with them a little more bulk, I guess you would say. And it was fine, but then I started going, oh, spinach is better. When I went back, I'll put some spinach. Oh, beets are great, go great with that. Loading it up with beets. So I like overloaded that. Then I was like, all right, beer's no good. So I started drinking red wine. So when I had that one come back with me, it was like, uh, I mean, Kevin, I, when the first time I went from going, from going keto, I had my club feet and I had all that inflammation all the time. And then I lost it. And when it came back, it was like I came out of come walking after one of my operations where I couldn't even move and just overloaded. I was eating the dark chalk, the mushroom chocolate. Everything I could do, thinking I'm do, eating, eating clean, and, and had no idea about the oxygen. So I'm glad that we're finally realizing this because, you know, you, you had it. Oh. Nothing to joke about, man. I was, I come home for, and I was driving a dump truck, so I really didn't have to get up. I was in a triaxle, so I just flipped the button. They loaded me. I flipped the button. I raised the bed up, and the, I could. When I got out of the truck, I couldn't even walk. I was like yeah. almost having to crawl across the parking lot. I go so, home. Put my feet up, do the best I could, Epsom salt, and then it, you know, started it again. And you know, here's the problem with this. If you switch to a carnivore diet and then you, but you're not fully, or even if you are fully carnivore, here's the other thing we know about oxalates. Your body stores them for decades. You go full carnivore, you're likely to create some oxalate issues. If your body is not getting any 
it starts getting rid of the overload and we see those as symptoms. And dumps it, yep. So now a person goes to the doctor, they have these gout-like symptoms and they tell the doctor they're eating carnivore. The doctor is gonna flip, he's gonna say meat causes gout and put them on a vegetarian diet and the symptoms are going to go away. When they start eating the oxalates again, a lot of the symptoms will actually go away. So it can be very, very confusing. This was one of the tougher mysteries we had to solve. And if it wasn't for this book, we would have never solved them. Yeah, I'm just glad that they, we did figure it out because, like I said, man, the pain was like, I, it's hard to even, it's just like someone sticking a bunch of needles in you or walking on, or putting your foot in a boot full of glass and then, and then jumping off of a build, you know, three foot yeah. wall or something. It, it was just, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. I'm glad we got let up. The great that this is getting out because, like you said, it puts people back in that sick system you know to go to a doctor to yeah. tell you you know there yep. you go do this and it starts it all over again yep all, all right. right take care good stuff hey lauren here's uh we were talking earlier about pineapple so here's the number half a cup of canned pineapple the only thing i can find on a list a half a cup 24 milligrams so for a fruit that's outrageously high a lot of fruits have zero cantaloupe has zero mm-hmm. um Peaches have zero, plums have zero, strawberries, another berry only has four milligrams, raspberries actually have 48 milligrams in a cup, where a strawberry only has four, so big difference. But, but even if we look at that 48 milligrams with a cup of raspberries, a cup of raspberries is a lot of raspberries, and you know, I'm probably not going to eat much more than a cup at a sitting. I'm safe for that meal. I'm okay up to 70 milligrams a meal. So a cup of raspberries is, you know, little more than half of that. I could eat a cup and a half of pineapple and only be at that 70 number. So this is very manageable if we understand it and we just stay away from the oxalate bombs. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because spinach, pineapple, and kiwi, all very high in oxalates, and all give me that same oh, yeah, right. kind of, not a very good texture in your mouth, and, like, the feeling is not good Yeah, when and, you eat those foods. Yeah, and that, yeah, yeah, I get it. All right, let's, uh, let's grab some more calls. Let's go to California. Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Yeah, and I, had, I had a couple of questions about the yogurt and then the kind of way to pick your brains on the, on the health issue I'm having. Sure. So I've made the El Ruderai for, for a while, but I was on Healthy Tribe the other day and I don't get on there too often, but, um, you know, whenever I'm trying to figure something out, I'll get on there. And I noticed somebody, I don't know if it was you, Kevin, or, or one of the members had kind of put together a chart kind of showing the different strains and the benefits and stuff like that. I didn't really get a chance to look and see what other kind of resources were available regarding the different strains aside from the El Ruderai. I'd be interested in trying a few of those, but I don't know where to source the, 
the probiotic and, and the instructions for the temperature and, and duration, is that all available on there? It is. The, the website somewhere, you know, we're in the middle of re rebuilding both of the websites and eventually they're going to be combined into one. So stuff's being moved around and we have multiple people working on it. So I'm not sure where it is anymore, but I do know that somewhere in the resources, there is a video, there's a document that gives you links to all the sourcing on every one of those. Okay. Okay. Now that like with the yogurt, that's something you have to eat regularly in order to get the benefits of, of those uh, bacteria or yes. is it kind of eat them for so, a while and then they start living in your digestive from, system and they kind of sustain themselves? From what we can gather, and we always have to qualify this, there's a lot about gut bacteria we just don't know yet. But from what we can gather, <laughs> most of these strains of probiotics that we talk about are not permanent residents. It almost seems like your, your gut microbiome, the permanent residents are kind of fixed for life, like they don't change much. It's the other, the transitory, we kind of call them transitory, they do their job on the way through. They don't really hang out much and live there. That, that's the way we understand it now. And I believe that all of these in the yogurt are transitory. None of them are gonna build up and live in your gut. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Um, so, you know, once you once you get all these different strains going, um, I mean, can you mix them up? I mean, sure. you, you're trying to eat five different strains sure. of yogurt at a yeah. certain time. You know, how do you make sure you get uh, an adequate dose? Yeah, when we talked about this in the beginning, people wanted to know, could we just culture them together? And some you can, but if you look, some of these culture at 100 degrees, some of them culture at 109. So you certainly don't want to combine those two because if you do it at 109, you're going to kill off the bacteria that needs to culture at 100 potentially. And if you try to do it at 100, you may not culture the, the bacteria that needs to be at 109. So it doesn't seem like a good idea to try to culture them together. But if you culture them separately, then mixing them after that won't be a problem. Okay. And mixing them all, you know, together, that would that would still give you enough of those bacteria so. to see the benefits? I, I think so. Again, we, okay. d we don't know a lot of this. It's impossible for us to measure a lot of what's going on in the gut. So a lot of this is just speculation and, and some results that we've seen in the past and some testing. And But there's just still a lot we don't understand. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well... I'm having a lot of congestion and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure I've got nasal polyps and some other sort of structural issues going on. I eat pretty clean. I've been trying to reduce inflammation. This doesn't seem to be clearing up. My sister has very similar issues. My dad had issues. My uncle, like both my dad and my uncle had surgery to have polyps removed. So I know that they both had them and that I guess, you know, the genetic predisposition is there, if you want to say it that way. Have you, do you guys have any ideas on that? My sister found, she's, she's really into like homeopathic medicine and stuff like that. And, you know, she recommended some, some homeopathic that she said was supposed to kind of assist with that kind of thing. But I mean, do you guys have any experience? What, in 
What was the homeopathic? Clear that stuff up. Uh, the, the the company is, I think it's pronounced Boiron, something like that, or B O I R O N. But basically, yep. So this one in particular is called Lemna Minor. I did some research into it. It's basically some some component or something that grows in duckweed, and Say they made again. it down what's into the, this little. What's the compound? It's called Lemna, L-E-M-N-A, minor. Huh. I don't think I've ever heard of that, Lauren. No, I haven't. I just Googled it. Duckweed. I've never even heard of duckweed, to be honest. Growing up. I'm familiar with that, at least. But, I mean, sorry, Lauren, what were you going to say about the brand? That the brand is really popular and a lot of people use it, naturopath, you know, naturopaths use it for, you know, for different, there are different, um, you know, like I said, the, the flu, the cold and flu one is, is really popular. And years ago, and I could be wrong, but years ago, my father was taking it and I was asking him about it. And he said, well, when he, when he looked at the ingredients in the you know, like, like in it, and he like broke it down and researched it, that they were using liver from, I think, ducks or geese or something. And that was one of the main ingredients. And I thought, oh, kind of clever. Um, but I, I haven't researched it myself. So I, that, could, that could be wrong. That was, you know, someone else saying okay. that. But I do know that a lot of naturopaths use it, that brand at least. But in terms of your, you know, your situation, do you do you use any like saline nasal flushes? I would definitely recommend doing that on a regular. Yeah, I've I've done the neti pot before. You have there was like a clear bottle with a black cap, and you could actually it was more of a forced kind yes. of an issue because you know, I, I've had so much congestion the neti pot just wouldn't always get through. I actually, exactly. I actually look at these kind of things, the neti pot and that kind of stuff as, as band-aids, almost like a drug. Like, again, I go back yeah. to the yeah. hunter-gatherer kind of thing. How it have a neti pot. So I, I think when we do that, we may be relieving symptoms. I don't think we're addressing the root. Um, I agree. Right, I agree. Have you... Why, Mike, have, but another question. Hold on, Lauren. What's our... Um, oh, yeah, I can't think of the name of our supplement right now. Um, uh, Histoplex? Yeah, Histoplex. Have you tried Histoplex? I haven't tried Histoplex, no. Try I think Histoplex. I was going to at one point. Okay. Yeah, I would try Histoplex. Uh, yeah, I mean, is right. it- hey, how about local raw honey? Are you consuming any of that? Yeah. Okay. Yep, I, I carry a jar of local honey with me in the truck, and uh, so now I mean, obviously we're traveling, so I'm kind of exposed to different areas. But, that's an issue, um, actually. So, have you right. done a NutriQ in a while, or ever? I I haven't. I forget. I, I thought I got on to do one. I changed phones recently, and I okay. lost all kinds of stuff. So you know how that is. I, I would expect. Um, but, I would expect that when you do the NutriQ, we're going to get a high score on immune. You've got an immune problem. Now, it is a challenge for people who travel a lot, truck drivers. This time of year, typically spring and fall, when we're seeing a lot of pollen, 
and you're traveling to different areas, it's pretty difficult. You can't do the local honey thing. You're not in an area long enough for it to do you any good. And the honey you're bringing from home really doesn't contain the same pollen that you're being exposed to. This just may be one of those hazards of the job that some people may struggle with. But if we're going to improve it, we would focus on your immune system. So a NutriQ would give us some clues what part of the immune system is struggling the most, and then we can address that. But we may not be able to eliminate this personally. This is something that hunter-gatherers would have never experienced. They couldn't travel fast enough to right. ever for that ever to be a problem. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of wanted to pick your brain on something else, you know, kind of a different aspect of the same problem, I suppose. So I think, I think you had recommended at one point the, the book Breath by James Nestor. Yes. Yeah, I'm reading it right. <laughs> so I, I did listen to that one. I really enjoyed it. You know, I started trying to do a lot of the things to try and improve nasal breathing, which, you know, obviously based on what I just described to you has been a challenge. But one of the things that he had kind of mentioned in the book is that, you know, the development of the palate in the mouth affects the sinus cavity. And I do know that I have a very high palate. Um, my sister has the same issue and she's been talking to some orthodontics, orthodontist about expanding the palate and they have some some procedure where they get in there and they can actually during the expansion, they can somehow pull the roof of the mouth down and open up the sinus cavity. And I mean, is that something that might be so, worth looking into or is that kind of thing a bit on the extreme end of the spectrum? Cause so it sounds pretty extreme to me. Yeah. Here's my opinion on this and it's nothing more than an opinion. We have clearly screwed up our health through the size of our jaws and our face. The poor nutrition, mostly grains, were what started this phenomenon. Our, our jaws and our face started to shrink. Our, our sinuses got smaller. Our jaws got smaller, so our teeth are crowded. We should not have to yank out everybody's wisdom teeth. That, that's not a natural thing. We just don't have room for them. And that has affected our health. It affects our breathing. It affects a lot of things. It affects our, our, our dental health. We know it's a problem, and it's a generational problem, but I would not trust any medical procedure anymore. I just don't. I, I, they, they, the problem is almost all of these procedures, everything I look at in the medical world is designed for one thing, and it's not our health. It's designed to generate maximum profit. I, I just don't trust the medical community anymore other than trauma. If my arm's hanging off, I want a good trauma surgeon to sew it back on. Other than that, I don't want to be anywhere near them. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that this this particular person was was kind of within the realm of Western medicine. I know my my sister is pretty naturally minded, and I know she had been going to more of like a homeopathic dentist. I don't know if it was. I, I guess I just don't know, have enough information to really know. Who was who was making the recommendation to her? I just kind of was curious if those if those palate opening you know kinds of I, things that you know were kind of aimed at opening up the sinus passages. I, I okay. just don't trust right. them. I and look, I have the same issues. I have very small jaw. All of my wisdom teeth were impacted. I don't breathe well at all through my sinuses. I just had all this tested. 
I need to work on my breathing. Not the Wim Hof. The Wim Hof does something totally different than this. I need to work on mouth taping at night and I need to work on nose breathing because I'm horrible for this. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big problem for me too. But I would never consider All right, guys. Well, that's all I got. I would never consider any kind of surgery or procedure. I just won't do it. Okay, fair enough. And I'm I'm posting Dr. Um, Davis's recipe for link for the the yogurt. So it'll be on healthy side. Excellent. Okay, Okay, great. I appreciate that. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. So uh, we had a question from the um, website because I said something about avoiding the oxalate bombs and then, you know, kind of managing your load. So somebody said, what are examples of oxalate bombs? Now, remember, we were trying to stay at 70 grams of oxalates, milligrams, not grams, 70 milligrams of oxalates per meal, right? Mm-hmm. A half a cup. Now, picture a half a cup in your mind. That's a pretty small quantity, right? A half a cup of anything oh, yeah. is not much. A half a cup is small. A half a cup of cooked spinach, 755 wow. milligrams. <laughs> That's an oxalate bomb. Uh, that's a bomb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we talk about sweet wow. potatoes being bad, but a half a cup of sweet potatoes, they call them yams in here, only 40 milligrams in a half a cup of sweet potatoes. And here's something else. Half a cup of sweet potatoes is way more satisfying than a half a cup of spinach. A half a cup of cooked spinach makes me hungrier. Mm-hmm. Half a cup of sweet mm-hmm. potatoes, at least I get a little bit of satisfaction there. So, you know, that, that's a big one. Now, potatoes, French fries, half a cup of French fries. What is that, like two bites? Maybe four, right? I mean, <laughs> seriously, a half a cup of French fries is nothing. It's a couple of French fries will fill up a half a cup pretty quickly. And that's basically a, a hundred milligrams. And and come on, French mm-hmm. fries are like the national dish in this country. They right? really are. People eat French fries constantly. Or potatoes. I didn't really know that. French regular potato, not sweet potato. Yeah, a baked potato, and it doesn't give us a size. It just says one each. I'm going to assume a kind of a medium size potato, 97 milligrams. So if you want to stay under, you know, an oxalate load per meal, you better be eating half of, you know, medium or small potato. And that's your limit for that meal. (laughs) Um, Hot chocolate, a cup of hot chocolate, 65 milligrams. So that just sneaks in if you didn't have any other oxalates in that meal. Four teaspoons of cocoa powder, 67 milligrams. So those are some of the, the bombs. Almonds are up there. A lot of the grains are up there, um, but we don't worry about grains anyway, so I don't really need to spend any time on those. Uh, so those are kind of Does like it make I said. You... Go ahead. 
Does it make you wonder about or, or change the amount for Sigmatic cacao that you drink? Yeah, I'm just curious because I know you have to look out for it, your possible. It, it, it did. did. Okay. Now, I will, I will drink up to one cup a day, no more than one cup. And I seem to do fine with that. Okay. Now, when, you know, I have a whole bunch of beets in the garden. I love beets. I just do. And they're easy and somewhat fun to grow and you can ferment them and make beet kvass. So when beet season hits, I'll probably cut back on the chocolate. Yeah. And yeah, I'll I eat, love beets Yeah, I'll, I'll eat more beets. And when at the end of the season, when I have, because I'm growing sweet potatoes again this year, I grew them last year, absolutely loved them. I'll do sweet potatoes again. And when sweet potato season hits, I'll probably drop all the other oxalates so I can fit them in. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to give and take if, here and there and, and, you know, and make it work. If it wasn't for the garden, I probably would just stop eating sweet potatoes. I do like them. The ones from the store. Okay. They're fine. The sweet potatoes I grew last year, I hands down the best sweet potato I've ever eaten. They were just so good. So I'll make room for those. If it was just a matter of, well, there are yeah. sweet potatoes at the store, I might do it once in a while, but it would be, I could drop them, be that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I like sweet potatoes as well. I've been eating more of them lately, but I'm not, typically don't eat many potatoes in general, You know, but I, I do love a good I'll tell you the best way I found to eat them too. So- I'd like to start with Ooh, how's that? Big, I like to start with big sweet potatoes and I had some monsters out of my garden last year and I I slice um rounds out of them. So take a big sweet potato, lay it down on its side and just start cutting like 1 inch slices. And then I take those mm-hmm. slices and I cover them with avocado oil and salt and pepper and I put mm-hmm. them in I use a convection oven and I have this this setting called convection roast where most of the heat comes down from the top and it'll I'll I'll leave them in there until they start to blacken. They'll just start to blacken and blister a little bit on the surface. Take them out and cover those with yeah. butter and they are incredible. They're so good. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. They're really I typically good. when I do them I just do them quickly. I, I boil them first whole. And then I cut like a slit in the top and stuff them full of butter. And then I bake them. And they're so good. There you go. Yeah, that would work too. I really like them roasted. They pick up that caramelized taste and they're just really good. All right. Let's go to Missouri this time. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Jeremy, I hear somebody there. Jeremy, come back to your phone. All right, I'm going to put it back in the queue. I can hear the lines open there. Somebody's just not paying attention. Let's go to Georgia. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning. Um, Just talking about potatoes and french fries, and I used to haul french fries very regularly. Um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota's big potato country and obviously helped by you idaho washington up into canada even 
up in the northeast, up in Maine is big potato country. But <clears throat> just French fries, because that's what I haul a lot of. One company, one plant, they have plants, you know, all over the country. Lamb Weston is in Minnesota. They produce one million pounds per day, seven days a week. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, we eat an awful lot of French fries and potatoes. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot. So, and then, yeah, there's, you know, up in North Dakota, there's Cavendish Farms is a big French fry, and McCain is in Wisconsin. And obviously, you know, they got plants, multiple plants around the country, but I would assume those are all about the same size plants. So it's millions of pounds a day. And that's just French fries. And you start looking at the other uses of potatoes, it's, it's quite an amazing crop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, it really is. Hey, you the, know, the reason for my call. I am going to grow potatoes again this year. But you know what I'm doing? Again, because I'm just proactively managing this last season and and most years, I grow six or seven different varieties of potatoes, some Yukon gold, some, um, you know, good old fashioned Idaho russets, some French fingerlings, some purple potatoes, some red skins. Turns out of the potatoes, red skin by far is lowest in oxalates. So that's all I'm going to grow this year. I mean, they're all about the same. They're a little different here and there. Some are a little smoother and more buttery. Some make better baked potatoes, but for the most part, they're potatoes. And I like potatoes and I like growing them and I like having them, but I'll grow the, the lowest oxalate level. So that, that's part of understanding yep. this and being proactive. We don't necessarily have to give everything up if we're just willing to do a little work. Yeah, like, like you were saying earlier, you know, small steps in the right direction. If somebody just starts eating purely carnivore from Walmart, yeah, but they're eliminating all the other junk, well, it's in the right direction. It, it's actually best, a huge improvement. It's quite really. an improvement. Yeah, exactly. It's a big, yep. big improvement. You'd be crazy not to do that. So earlier you were talking about how some people, who was ever the first one to try certain foods? Yeah. My yeah. assumption is we watched animals. Oh, that's so, a good idea. So, for example, idea. oysters, yeah, you're is right. one you said. You know, otters yeah. and otters. other things, they that's crack right. them on rocks, yeah. And good point. Watching an animal oh, eat that, oh, I'll try that. I'll try that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't catch the yeah. otter to eat him, so maybe I'll eat the shellfish he's eating instead. Yep. <laughs> Less work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a there's and a good question. About, why, why don't these shellfish have more protection? I guess their protection is their shell, but humans figured out how to get around that pretty quickly. Yeah, and they yeah. can hide. You know, shellfish are pretty, pretty much hard bottom to find. Eaters. Yeah, they're hard to find. So they're, yeah, they're. You know, so we learned how to snorkel. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> or or Laura, um, Lauren doesn't bother with a snorkel. She just free dives down to get her oysters. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, that's the best way to 
to naturally clear your nasal passages <laughs> is get in the water. <laughs> that'll do it. Get tossed around by some waves, right? Yeah, that'll do it. No. Well, and that's another, you know, just thinking about human development. Think of the first person that tried that. Oh, You're yeah. You're going to go down underwater and try yeah, hold right. your breath. I mean, oh. just, nobody's taught you how to do it. it right. That <laughs> was quite a feat, you know, at some point in history. Sure was. Yeah. So. Right. So you, and then you were talking about as a hunter-gatherer, you know, what you're going to find to eat. And you were talking about tubers and, you know, roots and all that. You'd have to boil them for a long time. Tell me, as a hunter-gatherer, how you're going to boil water. It's, that's what I mean. It's not easy at all. You have to you're figure not, out how to make a vessel. You're not going to use your wooden bowl. Right. Now, you know, yeah. what's, you know what's interesting? <laughs> you can, not that it would have existed. It's so funny that I just watched a video about this yesterday. You can actually cook soup in a plastic shopping bag over a fire. What? Yeah. Low enough heat. Yeah. Yep. It's, you you put if you put but, the you can take a plastic shopping bag or or any kind of thin thin plastic bag like that, suspend it over a fire, and you put a lot of liquid in it. Obviously, you're going to boil something, and the plastic won't melt if you do it right. And you can I don't know if you could get it to a true rolling boil, but you can certainly get that water hot enough that it'll cook things. But, well, yeah, so but as a hunter-gatherer, a stone dish. look around in nature yeah. and try to find something you can boil water in, and it's pretty difficult, almost impossible. A book I read about making maple syrup explained how hard this was because Native Americans did it. Okay. Like you say, a wooden bowl, you got your sap, which is, you know, pretty close to water. Right. They would heat up stones. They'd put the sap in a wooden bowl of stones in the fire, and then they just kept moving the stones into the bowl. Okay. You know how many hot stones you have to put Ooh. in a bowl of water to get it hot I enough to start steaming off? can't even imagine. And then how much yeah. you have to cook down maple syrup. I can't imagine how hard that has to be by putting hot stones in it. Yeah, at best it's 40%. That, that would be your highest concentrate sap. Would you got to boil off 60% of it. That's a lot. It takes a lot to, to boil off 60% of the water out of something. Wow. It, it wasn't something, you know, that was very common everyday no. practice because it was a lot of work. No, and if you can't boil water, you can't eat most of the roots we talk about. Nope. You can't eat a raw yeah. sweet potato. Yeah. Oh, well, Sarah just sent me something. It, clay pots is something they actually clay, at some yeah, point did. At some Point I guess there was figured. a way. You know, speaking of which, we were talking about the show Alone again last night. I wonder if there's a new season coming out soon. There hasn't been one for a while. Um, they actually, there are people there that are really good with clay, and it's one of the first things they go looking for when they, when they get dropped off in their area. They go looking for clay deposits. 
because they know how to make things out of clay. No. But I don't believe in archaeology here in North America. I know in other parts of the world they found clay pots, but for Native Americans, I don't remember them ever finding much for clay tools. It's stone tools. Right, a lot of stone, yeah. I was talking in the show last night about that series that I read by the two husband and wife anthropologists or whatever they are. They study old civilizations. They wrote that that series called The People Of, um, and it was all about the tribes that had settled North America way, way back when. Like, you know, one tribe was around the Great Lakes and one tribe was around the rivers, and it would be called The People Of The Rivers. And um, so they they did stories about all the different tribes that had settled North America. They're factual based on, you know, their research, but they, they write the books like novels. A really good series. I, I liked it a lot. But I don't remember yeah, them the talking. Yeah, Longhouse was one of them. Yeah, I don't remember them talking a lot about clay. You're right. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, our bones, right. animal bones were, you know, used, as used for different tools. Right. But Not a lot yeah, of clay. I remember, yeah, they used, like, wasn't it goat stomachs or sheep stomachs? Oh, yeah. For bags. Like containers, right. I, this was other parts of the world, too, yeah. But that's how they originally fermented milk and made yogurt. It, right. Was, you know, carrying it in, in, a, in a stomach. Because of the yeah. enzymes in the stomach, yeah. Right. Now, you could, I bet you could boil water inside of a stomach, too. Or not, maybe not boil it, but get it hot enough to cook something. But that's not easy. And I that, mean, that's quite a skill to kill an animal no. and get the get the stomach out intact and make a pouch out of it. I mean, that that requires some skill. But you know, it's just amazing if we took away all the clutter in our lives and everything we're used to, how our senses actually start getting better. Right. I just listened last night to. A big game hunting podcast but it was an africa series and they were talking about the trackers the the people that track the animals and how blown away they are that their vision their hearing is so much more keen right and and most of these are villagers you know that have grown up out in the bush and, and they can see stuff a mile away that the hunter can't even find in his binoculars. Right, right. I know. Just it, yeah. because they're in touch with nature. Right. Yeah, yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. We've uh, and they also don't have. Go ahead, Lauren. They don't have things that are that are competing with you know the natural sounds around them, like lawnmowers and you know loud music and things of that nature. They're just tuned in a hundred percent of the time. Yep. Yeah, they're they're in touch with nature, so it, certain flickers of light, you know, that mm. aren't natural, or you know, so they will pick up on that, and then you know, sounds yeah. when you don't, when you're completely out in the wilderness and there is no artificial sound, right? You exactly. can start paying attention to the natural sounds. Yeah, we're 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 so far removed from that, and that really is the single biggest cause of all of our health issues. We, we are designed as human beings to live like hunter-gatherers, and it's going to take us 
a very, very long time to change that. Yeah. Well, that's all I had for today, so. All right, that's all we need. Good stuff. Let's go to Missouri. I think we've got Jeremy back. Jeremy, there this time? Yeah, hey, thanks again, guys, for, you know, uh, seeking out and testing and sharing all this great information. You're welcome. I, I wanted to share okay, uh, little results we had with the uh, mushroom, the reishi. You know, when you were mentioning it, you know, I, I couldn't imagine. I understood what you were saying, but I, I never experienced it. So, and then when you mentioned balance one time, I took note of that. And then, um, uh, so Tammy and I, you know, been, we were doing, we did, uh, we've been doing one packet each, the elixir and the, the chill. Okay. And yeah, and we we're, we're pretty intense, you know, we, or we were always kind of, you know, high energy because of, you know, you know, we're feeling good and, you know, and, and everything. Right. You know, the high energy food we eat, you know, but, um, and so now, and then, you know, we probably, I don't know how long, but we noticed it, both of us, that as far as the balancing part that you mentioned, and now I, I, I could understand what you were saying. And, and it actually, you know, I still, we can still have good energy, but we also can tell when we're balanced, you know, towards the end of the day and I look forward to that cup, you know? Right. Yeah, it's awesome. It- And that's one of the reasons why I'm willing to make room for the cacao in my diet to get the reishi. But you wouldn't have to. You could use the elixir. If you don't want the the cacao, you could use the elixirs. It has the the highest concentration of the mushrooms, and it's not a cacao base. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you're talking about the oxalates and all that. But Yeah, I I really uh, enjoy that drink, so I just make room for it in my day. Yeah, I just do one packet of each and put about five ounces of water, and it seems to work fine with me. And but, uh, yeah, and uh, as far as I know, you like wings, or you guys like wings, of course, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> just ate chicken wings today. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, have you ever uh, marinated them in red hot? No. Frank's Red Hot? Yeah, Frank's Red Hot. No, that Frank's Red Hot was was always the base of my buffalo sauce. Now I just use my own red hot sauce that I make myself, but I never tried marinating them. Oh, man. I mean, and you know, Costco, the business center, they sell that big tub for like six bucks or something, but you could still kind of use water and maybe to save on it. But I've been... I put like 60 wings in a, in a container and then cover it with red hot and for like two days and it just comes out then how awesome. Do you, cook you can that? taste it. You can, uh, well, I got the rotisserie on my kettle now, but, okay. um, cause the smoke, yeah, cause smoking kind of makes things, the skin rubbery and then grilling of course would be good if I, but, so, but you got to cook the inside too. So yeah, well, rotisserie would, over fire is what I've been doing. That would work for my, I very seldom ever deep fry my wings anymore. And I used to deep fry a lot in beef tallow and they're really good like that. 
get good crispy skin. Oh, yeah. I, I want to try that. My new method for wings, I absolutely love. So I have a pellet smoker that will go to 500 degrees. Most pellet smokers will. They'll get pretty hot. So I set my pellet smoker at 400, get it preheated, and wings... 30 minutes is about perfect. The skin is crispy, not as crispy as if you deep fried them, but the flavor is incredible yeah. and they don't get that rubbery skin like they do when you slow smoke them. So I smoke them, but I smoke them hot and right. fast. Yeah, that's why I kind of would use, I got that kettle option where heat's coming from the bottom. Now, do you do flip them halfway through your wings and you can tell the bottom's more crispier? You know, on the Traeger, I don't need the to. I actually, I don't put them on okay. the, the lowest grill that's right over the heat. And if I do, I put them out to the sides because the, the heat is right smack in the middle. The fire pot is right there in the middle. So if I put yeah. them on the bottom rack, I put them out to the sides. Yeah. And then I use the middle rack and I don't have to flip them. It's just 400 degree air. It's more like right. having them in an air fryer kind of thing. But it's smoky. Yeah, I was one to, I always said I was going to fry them in beef tallow, maybe use a wok, and, you know, but I never, I got that rotisserie and it's kind of fun cooking over fire and it's, it works great. But, but as far as that red hot, I mean, it's almost like, it's, it's, it's amazing. It'd be great if you could try it. Yeah, I'm going to try that. You, you know what I almost wonder? All right. The problem here would be the cost. Um, you know what might work even better than Red Hot for this would be Tabasco. Yeah. And the reason yeah. I think that it's yeah. thinner. Yeah, and the Red Hot, like I said. It's, it's more vinegar. I think yeah. that might it make a really right. good marinade Tabasco. I just wonder where I can buy Tabasco in bulk. Because those little bottles aren't going to cut it. Right, right. Well, like I said, there's a big bottle of Red Hot at Costco. and. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to start maybe doing half and half water and half or maybe even 5% or 10% sauce and then the rest of the water and, the, and just submerge them, you know, that way I save on the cost. You know what else I might throw in there and it's fairly cheap and easy to buy in bulk. I might thin it with a little bit of white vinegar. Yeah. That would actually get you um, closer but to you a try it once. sauce. It's thinner. It will penetrate yeah. the meat better. I may try that. If you, yeah, and if you can, you know, just try that Red Hot so you know what I'm talking about. And then, of course, of course, I took them out, and when they were all done, you let them rest a little bit, then do that hot or hot honey on it, and sprinkle a little lemon pepper oh, yeah. on there. And, yeah, that's Oh, a, man. <laughs> the, the hot honey on smoked great. wings is a taste sensation. You've got to try it. It's nothing else. I've never had wings quite like it. Smoke the wings, then use the hot honey. So if, if, if the red hot works, what we're really saying is you could marinate with any hot sauce then. Pick your favorite hot sauce and just use that. Like you said, it's nice that you can buy that yeah, I guess so. at Costco. You know, you can get that two pack of the big bottles. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of makes it convenient. No, it's a jug. It's a jug of red oh, hot. I mean, right. it's a jug, that's like right. a. A They're, big, almost. That's right. Yeah, the, it's huge. It's yeah. usually at the business center. That's right. I remember. They also sell it in like two yeah. big bottles in a two-pack, but the jug's even bigger. Now, for me, oh, right. what I'm going right, to do, right. I, have, I have very large quantities of hot sauce these days. I'm still working on my peppers from last year's garden. 
What I did was I chopped them all and then froze them. So I have bags and bags and bags of peppers. I can make tons of hot sauce. Yeah, yeah, it's still, mine are still fermenting, so I'm going to do something with those peppers eventually. They're in the, the bags, and I'm just late letting them go. It's lasting a long time, you know, I don't, we don't use much, but. Yeah. I, is that okay? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, let them keep fermenting. Uh, yeah, I haven't yeah, had I, any mold I, or anything. If I remember, oh, okay. if I remember right, Tabasco is fermented for almost three years, I think. Right, yeah, yeah. Um. That's right. Now, can I, so I guess for a question, how about oxalates in the, the, the pumpkin seed inside, you know, seedless, I mean, shellless pumpkin seed. Is it, do you get less oxalates because it's inside the shell? I doubt it. The seed is where a lot of the oxalates are. Yeah. Seeds are usually, that's why nuts and seeds are both kind of high. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we kind of eat more and more carnivore and just less, less plants too. So that's, that's really, that's really kind of the answer here. And that was really my theme at the beginning. Really seems like the less plants you eat, the healthier you're going to be. And, and you just need to be picky about the plants you are going to eat. All right. We're going to move along. We're going to go to California. Brandy, welcome to the program. Evan, um, you were talking about orthodontics, but I, uh, and you haven't spoken about this for a while. Um, uh, this, I think you found there on YouTube or something, uh, was a dentist that used red light therapy, and Fred was going to do an investigation, and you haven't brought it up in a while, and I thought, I'm interested if that, but Lisa just I just kind of want to happen to that. Lisa just told me either last night or this morning, I forget which time, that we have her book to come on the show. Lisa got her book, so she'll Fantastic. be on the show. Yep. And then I wanted to introduce you to this Pinto 5 picture of this product that I came across, either Instagram or Facebook. I tried them. Fantastic. Do you like The it? reviews, some of the reviews says they were, oh, Fantastic. And I wanted to send you one if to introduce you to it. You know, I believe in supporting small-time businesses. And uh, I, the review, one of the reviews said it tasted, you know, like a dog tree. So they ended up giving it to their dog. But that I guess it was the ham. But uh, the Yeah, I'm going to check this out. The this, fat that's on interesting. them. And uh, I was full. You can eat a bag easily. The ham, the ham one was definitely the one that made me fullest, but they're like potato chips. You just can't stop eating them. And yeah, but uh, I wanted to send you one and I want to make sure I could get permission to do that. Sure. No problem. Yeah, I'd like to check them out. Okay. Okay. Um, that's basically it. I just uh, wanted to add those two things. Okay. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's You're welcome. go to Ohio this time. Herschel, welcome to the program. What do you say, Kevin and Lauren? What's on your mind today? Hello. Well, what I was going to say is kind of morphed a little bit after listening for the last however long I've been on. Um, what I was going to say is you talk about oxalates quite a lot. 
And no, I haven't listened to the whole miniseries with the girl about the oxalis, because quite frankly, I have heard so much and to some degree confused, to some degree understand. Uh, the success rate's not so good anymore that I just get mind numb. I actually kind of quit listening to Destination Health because it's like I'm not doing what they're saying. I'm, I'm not succeeding, so oh well. So when it comes to Oxlate, I was going to ask you, is there a place, could you post a reputable, or however you say that word, list of good and bad or oxalate, what foods are there, but after listening for the last however long it's been on hold, I think I just decided maybe instead of carnivore, you should just call it dogivore, and if a dog won't eat it, we don't either. Screw it. I mean, yeah, am I wrong? Well, no, except we've corrupted our dogs just as much. Our dogs will eat just about anything anymore. They'll well, eat all the same garbage. I'm talking about we eat. dog. Dogs in the wild. Yeah, wolves. Dogs in the wolves. wild. Yeah, if we if we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. really, we could watch any carnivore in the wild, and and I just believe we are carnivores that have the ability to eat other foods when we need to, but we probably shouldn't very much. You know, and I get it. The the overload, the information overload, the the contradictions. No, we thought this was healthy. It's not. We tried this. That didn't work. I get it. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. It's why I tried to open today saying, look, I I think I kind of figured this out. We keep trying to eat plants and we keep doing all kinds of crazy things to them so we can eat them and they don't hurt us as much. I think the real lesson here is we just shouldn't be eating a lot of plants. Whether so, it's phytate you know, or back lectins, in the day, we would oxalates or gluten or gliadin. We don't have these problems with animal food, with animal products. We don't have any yeah. of these issues. They're all in plants. So I think the lesson we're finally getting it through our head is that we shouldn't be eating very many plants and we need to be picky about which ones we do eat. The problem is we can go all the way back to the grains. They beat it into our head. Healthy whole grains. It's almost impossible to say the word grain without saying healthy whole grains. They, they brainwashed us so much. Fruits and vegetables, they, we always put them together. I don't know why. They don't belong together. They're two totally different food groups. Each one of them has problems. The one food group we keep coming back to that doesn't have any of these issues are animal foods. I think the lesson here is that's what we should be eating. Okay, so let me ask you this. And, Lauren, you can throw your two cents in. I've never heard your two cents, I don't believe. So we kind of decided it's meat and eggs. That's it, basically. So how do you sell yourself? How do you interest yourself and varietize, if that's even a word, meat and eggs so you're not so bored that you don't even care if you eat Nothing tastes good anymore because this is all you're allowed to have is meat and eggs. How do you do that? I don't think you want just meat and eggs, to be honest. And, and at 3 o'clock, just, just so you know, I'm going to say this now. At 3 p.m. today, I'm going to go live 
on Healthy Tribe with the After Hours Q&A. And I'm going to be, the whole conversation is going to be keep um, carnivore diet. Okay. So I'm going to talk about what that entails and that it's not just like when you say meat, talk about muscle meat because you can only eat so much muscle meat without eating, you know, other things. So when you say meat, is that muscle meat? Are you talking about the entire animal? Are you talking about organs? Are you talking about getting fatty pieces? Are you talking about eating the bones and the marrow? And Because you don't want to just eat muscle meat and eggs. Okay. Well, that's when, it, I guess, when everybody in society in the United States or maybe the world, maybe not, when you say meat, you're primarily talking the typical stuff. It's a steak, it's hamburger, so, it's a pork chop, let me it's say part of a chicken. I can't, I can't stand lamb. It tastes like sheep smell. I can't do that. Ugh. So let me... Anyway, so, fish, so that kind of thing. Here, here's what I'm going to say on, on this issue. Just like I said, right? if all of your meat comes from Walmart, so what? If all you eat is meat and eggs still going to be way healthier than the average American. It won't even be close. So yes, we are big on organ meat. But how add, do you add liver, how do you add sell honey, your add shellfish and all the, if you don't if all you ate was ribeyes and eggs, I, I promise you'll still be healthier, way healthier. It won't even be close. Mm, okay. Now, I I guess I my struggle thinking, is the focus of being able to do that. Oh, I get it. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. I used to say, and Lauren, you mentioned this, I used to say meat doesn't satisfy me. I have to have a lot of fat. That seems to be changing. Meat is more satisfying now. I don't know why. Things just change over time, like sugar. The less sugar you eat, the less sugar you want. And at some point, it gets to the point where you have a little bit of sugar and it's almost sickeningly sweet. So our tastes and our cravings can change over time. And I think the more I eat carnivore, the more satisfying carnivore becomes. But I'm not giving up plants completely. I, I'm not giving up sauces. Hell, I'm growing a whole garden so I can make my barbecue sauce again this year. I can't wait to make a big batch of barbecue sauce and, and other sauces and salsas. And so I'm not giving up plants. I'm just being more deliberate about which ones I eat. So it sounds I, I like we need the Kevin Rutherford grocery. I don't find my diet boring at all. And when you say nothing tastes good anymore, it's the opposite for me. The wings that I make, the best wings I've ever eaten. My ribs, I got that recipe nailed down so tight. My ribs are incredible. Um, when it comes to corned beef, Lisa came up with a corned beef recipe that just melts in your mouth. It's so good. So I'm loving my food every bit now as much as I used to. I would love to be there. Cause I'd, if it was up to me, I would never eat again. Wouldn't bother me a bit. You know, that's, would not that's, bother me one bit Herschel, if I could never a, eat again. That's not a bad place to be. Eating just to live, just, just getting enough nutrition in our body is not that difficult, especially if you eat meat. You don't have to eat six times a day eat once or twice and that's plenty because you're satisfied that's a good place to be I, honestly me being a foodie all my life is is kind of a handicap because i want all that variety yeah. all those crazy dishes i used to make and now my my 
food is so simple now, but still really good. But in some ways, being that, you know, that big foodie was a handicap. I don't, I don't want to give up a lot of those things I used to eat, and I know I should. Well, I hear what you're saying, Kevin, and I understand where you are coming from because luckily you're able to work at home. You got a little more time than somebody that has to go somewhere else. No, maybe. I don't. But we all have 24 hours it, in a day. It, it, well, nobody has any more time but than it's anybody to the point, else. We all get to choose what we spend our time on. That's the only difference. But it's down to the point for my case, and this has been the way for the last two or three years. I don't really give two shits if I go anywhere because if you go somewhere, like I like to go to the races, used to. I like to play golf, used to. Different things. When you go somewhere, there's all, all kinds of crap around. You're smelling all this stuff. And it's just temptation galore, and it's not like the overload from the information side. Just stay the hell away from it, then you don't have to deal with it. Don't go anywhere. I haven't had a vacation in 20 years. Yeah, see, I've, the food being around me doesn't bother me. And I don't know if that just takes more time or what that is, but, it, you know, there was a time when I smelled bread baking, I thought I was going to faint. It just doesn't bother me anymore. That just doesn't affect me at all. In fact, it almost repels me. Interesting. Wow. Well, I know the last time I went somewhere was the day my hero died in February 2001. We lost Dale Earnhardt. And I haven't went anywhere since. I really don't care. I just, I don't do anything. (laughs) Well, you know. It's annoying. I I wish I could get past that. Well, you know. you know, Herschel, right now, that's not just you. They did that to us. That's a big part of what's just happened in the last three years. They, a lot of people feel this way. I don't, we don't go anywhere near as often as we used to go places. I prefer to stay home, be alone, yeah. take vacations that are not in a city. Being in L.A. last couple of weeks for that show was awful. I hated it. No way I want to be around that many people. So that, that's not just you right now. That, that's a societal thing that's, that we've created. Yeah, a buddy of mine says the problem is the assholes abound. They're everywhere. Well, there's no, <laughs> I agree with that. I agree. Some people have, have just gone off the deep end. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. people think that about me, that I'm the one that's gone off the deep end. Wow. All right, Kevin, I'll leave you alone now. Let's get somebody else. All right. There is nobody else. All the calls are gone. We will hang out here for a couple minutes if you want to jump in. There's still some time. Lauren, anything else you want to talk about today? Well, I'm going to talk a lot, you know, later on. I'm going to do, you know, focus on the carnivore diet. But, you know, I am going to talk about micronutrients, like, you know, what could be potential danger? So the micronutrients that are lacking and how easily we can incorporate them into that diet by eating dairy, organ meats, and seafood. There and you if you, go. Right. If, you all, if you do that, you're covering all your bases. Yeah. And so I just, I worry a little when I hear that people aren't eating, you know, they're just eating muscle meats. It's like, well, hold on a minute. There's more to it, more to the carnivore diet than just that. I do understand for simplifying it and it's better than 
you know, I understand your point that it's better if they're eating Walmart meat than doing carnivore than eating everything else. I do understand that. But for a longer period of time, if you're going to stick to the carnivore diet, you want to make sure you're having a nutrient-dense experience. I don't disagree. I'm big on nutrient density and food quality, but I am also starting. I'd love to see some examples of long-term carnivores that don't eat those things, that don't eat seafood and don't eat organ meats. I have a feeling their health is probably still significantly better than the average. And that doesn't mean I'm promoting that, but I guess I am promoting it if that's that's all you're going to be able to do. They'll rather see you do that. Go to Walmart, buy all your meat and eggs there. You're going to be far better off. Buy your dairy there too. May have some issues with dairy, but you're still going to be far healthier than the average American these days. So why, why not do it that way? It's an improvement. And then at some point, you'll probably start improving those things on your own. You'll see the results. You'll feel better and you'll start to make more of an effort to, to get some of those other foods in your diet. And there's something else I think about. What, what about the hunter-gatherers who didn't live anywhere near an ocean? Yeah. How did they there get these nutrients? Why were, why were they healthy? Yeah, that's a good point. And let's think about something else. We, we always make this claim. I've done it. I'm trying to go back and make sure, you know, being honest and really looking at things hard and was I wrong. We, we say that the hunter-gatherers ate the organs and gave the muscle meat to the dogs. Sally and I even talked about it last night. It makes sense. The muscle meat is lean, mm-hmm. especially in wild game. Muscle meat is very lean. Dogs do better with lean meat. Humans do better with fatty meat. It seemed like the perfect fit. Yeah. But, but this, this saying that we say we eat the organ meats and we give the muscle meat to the dog, I think that's false. We should probably stop saying that. There's some truth to it, but let's think about this. We just killed a deer, you and I. You and I are in a tribe and, you know, I don't know, there's 15 of us or whatever. We just killed a deer. Well, the alpha male gets the liver. The alpha female probably gets the heart. What's left for organs? We have the brain, which is actually pretty darn healthy, but there's not much there. We have adrenals. They're tiny, about a tablespoon. Um, We have kidneys. I, I have a hard time with kidney, but so wait a minute. We couldn't have all eaten the organs. There's not enough there to satisfy us. We had to have been eating the muscle meat too, and a lot of it. Yes, I I agree. And not to mention that a lot of that organ meat was also given to women, you know, in their Uh, fertile years. That's right. Good good point. Yes. So a lot of us ate a lot of muscle meat, I think. I think we, we have exaggerated this organ thing somewhat. I could see that. And like I said, seafood, I love seafood. And it does have a ton of different nutrients in it. It's got things like iodine and, and omega-3s that we don't get from land animals, but an awful lot of hunter-gatherers never had access to oceans. Yeah. I think this is, I think what we're, we're moving towards, this is really a lot simpler than we think it is. 
You know, it, it, yeah, it, it, like I said, we, we could complicate the human body. It's a very complicated thing. The processes, the systems, incredibly complicated. And I think our understanding of a lot of it may be wrong, too. We know we've thought one thing about things, and then later on we realize they're wrong. That's not going to end. We still don't know everything about the body, not even close. But I'm just more and more convinced that eat animal products and you're going to avoid most of the health problems. Yeah. And I I also believe this. I would love to see somebody try this. I don't care how much fatty meat you think you're going to eat or how much dairy or cheese or heavy cream. I would love to to see somebody try to become overweight on animal products. I don't think you can do it. Yeah, I don't think you can. Really don't. I think you could eat as, you could force yourself to try to eat more. I don't think you would gain any weight. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because isn't about we to the point where about 70% of the country wants to lose weight, but they don't want to be hungry when they do it. Yeah, I think, I think we are at that point. <laughs> yeah, pretty simple. The one thing I can say about eating carnivore, yeah. I'm hungry, I eat, and then I'm not hungry anymore for a long time. Yeah, I agree. All right, we've got some calls coming in, so we'll grab them. Terrence, welcome. I had to call back. <laughs> I forgot before. First of all, listen, you just said so I was really just tagged on me when you said, you know, most people want to lose weight, but they, want, they don't want to do the work. That's what people want. They want this quick fix thing. They don't want to take the time. To, 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 like I said, the other day, I just went to U.S. Foods. It got it like, I have to go to the chef store. We went in there. They had, uh, oh, God, ribs, I guess, short ribs, okay? Yeah. They were, they had, they were $5.99 a pound. Unheard of. That's cheap. Okay? Was it, was it, was, listen, I, we, we looked at it. We went to go grab some, some brunch. And we came back. I bought I bought eighty pounds of I bought uh, eighty dollars worth of meat. There you go. So what I did, we took them home. You cut them and cut them into two nice thick, short ribs, and and then put them in a you know one of them food savers. Perfect. But like like like, like stuff like and, and even like that like like Herschel he could take one of those things and put it in the freezer. And he has a little crock pot, a plug-in crock pot. Let it sit in there all day. Throw some butter. Any kind of seasoning you want in there, and let it cook all day long. By the end of the day, that stuff will be falling off the bone, and it's, you can do anything. You can add any flavors you want to it. Beef short. It's just, you know, you got to want to. Beef short ribs yeah. one of my favorite but, cuts. The flavor and, and the, the mouthfeel and the fattiness in beef short ribs, just absolutely one of my favorites. And, and Kevin, we cut into these things, and you couldn't believe the marbleization on the inside. Now, of yeah. course, it's a rib. You're going to have that. But my God, I mean, we cut into it. Like, this is a steal. I mean, yeah, and I know, that was the first time I ever went into one of them. And, and it, was, it was just amazing. But now, back to what I wanted to call back was about the seafood. When you were saying, who was the first guy that looked at an oyster and said, oh, I'm going to eat that? 
It was the hungry guy. It was what it was. <laughs> well, I mean, right. they right. got to be the most hideous, hideous looking thing. But like I said, I grew up in Staten Island, in Staten Island, New York, which is New York City. And we used to eat mussels off the piers, black mussels, you know, not, not New Zealand green ones, orange-flavored mussels there. We'd pull them off the side of the pier. We'd sit on the beach with a fire with a pot, throw them in there, and eat them like that. Yeah. We used to dig clams right at the end of the beach. I know. And, and all of that. I mean, it's, you know, it's something you did. If people that don't like seafood, it's tough. But again, the stuff you got in the store with that, that Patagonia, my God, it's so easy. You crack it open, it melts in your mouth. And the I mean, beauty that of stuff it, alone. you just, it doesn't take up any space in the truck. It doesn't need refrigeration. You could store three months worth of the seafood in your truck easily. And the, and the same thing, if you do, if you want, say if you want to have a salad, just a regular salad, you put that on, you throw it on, on a salad. Go ahead. That's right. all you, I mean, if you want something to fill you, it's not going to hurt you. Right. You know, that's, that's what I was doing when I first started. I, I would take a salad or whatever protein I wanted, but I would take the sardines or whatever, just throw them in there and that would be the end of it. You know, the other thing I'd like, I don't know, it seems like an odd combination, but I just like to open up that can of mackerel they have the different flavors it's so clean their flavors oh, are so good and i just like to dump it all into a bowl all the oil and everything and then dump in some sort of fermented like a kimchi or a spicy cabbage or something and just mix it up i don't know that seems odd but it's that's just really good no it's, that's fantastic because uh, I, I did that too another thing like said what they the, all the different cuts of meat. You can, if you, I had one of them little plug-in ones, a little plug-in, it's not even a, it's not the one you used to get in the years ago in the truck stop, the big black thing. It's a little tiny warmer. You plug it in, oh, yeah. and what this one is, it works off of two things. You can plug it into a, you know, a regular outlet or in, into, into the, the nine volt. And I just leave whatever I want. Like if I take something, you want it to heat up, you can, you can see it, you can feel the pot. If it's hot, you don't want to eat it now, you just don't plug it. You leave the lid on it, but it'll cook it all day long. And if you have a refrigerator or any, anyway, you could take frozen meat with you and store it for three or four days in a cooler or a refrigerator or anything, and then take it out. And then just when it's thawed out, you throw it in the cooker. Here's another one. And, I, and like I said, I'm home every night. Here's another one you can do like that. Make your meatloaf ahead of time, fully cooked, then vacuum pack it and freeze it. Make meatballs ahead of time, fully cooked, vacuum pack them and freeze them. Make, yep. make hamburger patties cooked ahead of time, sausage patties cooked ahead of time. Freeze them and then throw all of that frozen food in your refrigerator when you leave in the truck. And yep. now it's already cooked. All yeah. you basically have to do is thaw it and warm it up a little bit, and it will stay frozen. You could make that meat last a long time like that. Yeah, absolutely. And all you need, too, for flavoring, sorry, Lauren, is you just take some bone broth. So if you have a chicken dish, you put a little bit of chicken bone broth in there with some butter, and you don't need a lot because, you know, you, I mean, that stuff has got the full flavor, like a bouillon almost to me, it tastes like. Here's something else that helps. Take all this frozen pre-cooked meat we just talked about, and before you put it in your truck refrigerator, put a decent-sized block of dry ice in the bottom. Then pack it with this frozen food you yeah. just made a freezer. Yeah. Yeah. That'll stay a long time like that. 
And again, like when I first started doing it, and I, again, because I, I've been being home every night for almost eight years, and I made excuses to me again. No, oh, I can't. I gotta. I can't. I can't get this now. And finally, when you do the prep and you do the do it a little bit, once you do it and start doing it, there's nothing to it. Absolutely. And it's, it's easy to maintain it. Yep. I mean, so I just don't like. I don't like when people. Like, oh, it's too hard. So I, I was the same way. I did it. That's why I'm saying it. I said the same thing until finally I said, no, it's not. Like you said, all truth is what you do with your time. Yeah. You know, if you want to spend your time being sick and unhealthy, then that's what you can do. I agree. All right, Terrence, great stuff. We'll, uh, uh, later. Talk yep. to you again soon. Let's go to Kansas. Bob, welcome to the program. Yeah, I was just going to say I, that was the cool stuff that you and Terrence were talking about. Just that's the, and I was just going to say about, I think it was the second call that you had about not getting bored on carnivore, but it, it's the process. It's about learning how to cook and making that ribeye perfect where it does taste, you know, where you get the sear on all sides and you still got the medium rare. Yeah, you'll screw up a few times, but you just keep doing it. You know, brisket's the same way. It's just a process better each time. Each time you make it, you get better and better. Or you screw up one time, you know, and yeah. you go ahead and eat your, you know, your screw-ups too. But it's the process. He was talking about bone broth and stuff with butter. I do that exact same thing. And in the first time I tried, I was like, oh, that's a whole <laughs> new flavor in my mouth. That's a whole right. thing. And it's still carnivore, right. you know? And yeah. it's that excitingness about learning. You have to become a cook. You have to become, you have to become this MacGyver to do these yeah. things, to make that food so you good know, that you get that, that flavor that you're looking for and that texture. That's a good point. And, and you'll and never get bored. If, if I had to pick one of my, I don't know, I guess really well-developed skills, and it's just occurred in the last couple of years, I mean, I said I've always been a foodie. That's true. I was cooking when I was a teenager. I just was drawn to it. And But now when I look at my skills around food, pretty incredible, really. I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but from growing it from seed and, you know, totally regenerative and all that stuff I've learned in the garden the last couple of years to fermenting and dehydrating and cooking and all the things we do with food now and pressure canning. And I just believe this is a really valuable skill set to have for a lot of reasons. And absolutely. I totally agree. And just one other thing that I was thinking about is that when I kind of quit drinking, you know, a while back and I, I haven't totally stopped. I, I'll have drinks with friends here and there and stuff. And, I just wanted to, you know, when people are struggling with this diet or struggling with giving something up, you have to ask yourself, am I an adult, you know, am I, or am I this, <laughs> like I asked myself, am I a 25 year old kid, Right. you know, I don't need to be doing this right. and I know what's healthy for me. I know what's, what's bad for me. And you have to ask yourself, you have to say self, you got to have that conversation, that real conversation. Am I an adult? Right. Do I know the difference? good and bad things for me. Yes, I am. And I, I, I don't need to do that stuff anymore. And it, it, if you have that conversation in your and you're honest with yourself, you'll be like, this is stupid. Why am I putting this junk in my mouth? This is garbage. Yep. So, yeah. 
Yep, exactly. All right, Bob, good stuff. Yep, we're going to head off to Michigan. Sarah, welcome to the program. Hey, I wanted to say I got some mail yesterday, okay. a couple of days ago, and I tried that Shadai Chai. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the reason that you didn't like it, because maybe your system already had enough magnesium at the time, and your body just says, oh, I don't like that, it's too much. I could taste it. I definitely knew it was there, but for me, it wasn't too overpowering, and I really liked, liked the. Um, Did you? Okay, so that's like the flavor. That's an interesting thought because we know that works. We we carry the taste and score minerals in our store, and we've tested this. It was mm-hmm. part of our FNTP training. They told us about taste and score minerals, and it works. You take a mineral in a liquid form, an aqueous mineral, and you put it on your tongue. And if your body has enough of that mineral already, well, you won't like the taste of it. It's unpleasant. But if you don't have enough of that mineral in your body, you don't taste it at all. It's just like water. And we've tested this over and over. It's a really bizarre phenomenon, but it works. I never thought about that might be a factor here. And it makes sense that I have enough of this form of magnesium because I take it as a supplement every day already on its own. Mm-hmm. And that's the same magnesium they put so in I the like- Shadai Chai. I, you might be onto something there. And as far as helping you sleep, it was like I could definitely tell when Duke woke me up in the middle of the night to go outside to be able to go potty that I did not want to get up and go. I just wanted to stay in bed. Yeah. But of course I did get up and go. But, but it definitely gave without like making me groggy or anything like that. It gave me my body a way more relaxed. Okay. It's sleep now. So I I enjoyed it and I will be using it. Good. Good. So what I'm going to try then, because I I think you may have figured this out, I'm going to try dropping the magnesium supplement for about two weeks and then try the Shadai Chai again. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try that. I think it sounds like a plan. Yeah. I think you might be onto something there. So that, that, I was going to say that's all I have, but I also found, find it interesting that the NTP I know who works with animals, primarily horses and dogs, she said to make sure that Duke and Ruby get some fermented foods every once in a while and, you know, open up a can of sardines and give them a couple here and there. I'm like, well, I do that all the, all, anyway. Um and so they, they like they like the fermented foods and the sardines you know, and that kind of stuff. Let, um, let's, let's think about that for a second. I, would would wolves ever have encountered fermented food in the wild? Yes. Yes. In the have. stomach of the animals they're eating. Yep. And we know that they will eat those contents. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that's, it's um, so funny. Like we always say 
We always say, oh, vets are great because they always ask, what are your animals eating when you take them to, when you take them in and tell them, okay, there's something wrong. What are they eating? But the problem is they're generally, their response when you answer, okay, I'm feeding them a basically raw diet, sometimes freeze-dried raw. I give them some sardines once in a while. I give them some fermented foods here and there. They're like, oh, no, like this one guy got upset at me. Like he was going to call somebody and have my dogs taken away oh from me. He's like, God. you cannot do that. You have to feed them the same kibble ev- the oh, same time please. of day, every day, all the time. I'm like, please. and I, I pulled it out on him. I, I said, where in nature is any animal going to find the same food at the same time of day, every and, day, all the time? And where are they going to find I said, kibble? I, I, I go, look, look. Kibble's not yeah, food. I go, look at my dog, my puppy's coat. No. Look at my puppy's coat. He's shiny. He's black. He's running around. He's healthy. Look at what, their teeth. You know, Look what at tells their you that what I'm doing? Right. right. So you bring up a good point. What tells you that what I'm doing is wrong? We've said that vets seem to be better this at this than doctors, and for the most part, they are. But that's changing. Not only is the vet's advice on mm-hmm. food starting to change, and they are starting to push the kibble and this other crap that dogs should not be eating. But here's the other thing I'm noticing. I'm also noticing an awful lot of drug commercials for dogs. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Prescriptions for dogs are becoming very, very popular. It won't be long before all, well, not all, but the majority of the vets will be nothing more than pill and prescription pushers, just like the doctors. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's it's sad to see. I mean, we have to go all over, or we do go all over the country. So sometimes we need a vet that's not the one we go regular to regularly. And the fee, it is getting more and more in the past. We've had Ruby for what, like nine years? In the right. past nine years, I've noticed that trend yeah. increasing. Veterinarians recommending drugs now. That's becoming a very common thing. And the commercials are all like the human commercials. It's hilarious to watch these things. Mm -hmm. It's it's exactly what they did to us. Now they're going to help us do it to our pets. Yep. So we have to be vigilant. Anyway, everybody have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for the call. (laughs) All right. We're out of calls again, Lauren. Anything? Should we wrap this up for the day? You got to get ready for a, a big carnivore show today. Yes, at 3 p.m. Eastern time on Healthy Tribe, they're going to talk everything carnivore. And I know there are typically a lot of questions regarding that. So I hope to answer them and to address, you know, basically any concerns people have about doing it and things like that. Oh, let me let me mention another one that, that we've kind of changed on over the years. Okay. I can remember when we first started talking about keto. And the first time I got the question from somebody who was pregnant, should I switch to keto? And I think they were even having some blood sugar issues, which is common during pregnancy. And I was, I was hesitant. I didn't know. I hadn't done enough research about it. So I was cautious and said, no, you know, I probably wouldn't make any major dietary changes like that while you're pregnant. Then we started saying, look, if, if you think you're going to be pregnant, you should make this change before you get pregnant. Then, you know, we started talking more about carnivore instead of keto. And is carnivore safe for pregnant women? And here's my approach on this right now. 
I don't care if you're seven or eight months in. Do you want to change your diet to something healthier? Absolutely do it. I, I, I just don't think we need to be cautious about this anymore, especially when you're moving towards a healthier diet. Go ahead and do it. I, I really just don't see the need to be cautious about that anymore. It's funny, I actually had a question about certain supplements that I'm going to address before I get into the carnivore. And the question is regarding supplements that this gentleman's wife is taking. She just found out she's 14 weeks pregnant and she takes some, some supplements. So we're going to address that Yeah, today there are as well. some of those we should watch. And, and I'd rather err on the side of caution, especially with supplements. I mean, we don't have to have supplements. We have to have food. Yeah. You know, we have to eat. So, you know, what finally kind of convinced me of this after being cautious, doing the research, not finding any real reason why we shouldn't, what really convinced me is why are we okay with all the pregnant women on the standard American diet getting an untested vaccine? But we're going to be worried about you know, them eating too much meat or taking a supplement. Come on. Right? I know. I mean, we really, I mean, think about it. You and I get a little concerned if we have a supplement that maybe somebody who's pregnant shouldn't take. Yet they'll, they'll, they'll push and promote a toxic, untested vaccine on pregnant women. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Gosh, yeah. the things that we recommend pregnant women in the pharmaceutical industry is unbelievable. And I mean, we don't even blink when we see a pregnant woman scarfing down a bag of Doritos or a box of donuts, right? We say, oh, that's well, just a craving. No big deal. No, it's a horrible deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if it's a craving or not. It's just wrong. Yeah. You know, I think I've said this before, but since I mentioned donuts, if we look at what are probably the three worst offenders in a human diet, it would, in my opinion, it would be wheat, bad seed oils, and sugar, right? Those are three really bad things for us, aren't they? Definitely. What's a donut? Definitely. Those are the top. What's a donut? <laughs> it's wheat and sugar fried in a bad seed oil that they use over and over and over. And every time they use it, they damage it even more. Yep. Donuts True. should probably be outlawed. Oh. And yet, what do we do for kids' class parties? Oh, get them donuts. What do we do for the office? Oh, let's bring in a box of donuts. It may be one of the worst foods on the planet. Yeah. Donuts are no good. No they good. They taste good, but they're no good. No good. No good. <laughs> Stay away from the donuts. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Um, check out Lauren's live coming up today. Should be a great one. And we will see you back here tomorrow for a free-for-all. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.